whenever family members asked me what I was studying and I would tell them I'm studying to become a mechanical engineer. That is when I started getting reactions. And that's when I started noticing more of that gender gap and more how just not as feasible it is for women to follow through with an engineering major. One of the big things that I did notice, so my first year of college, I was taking this, it was called MEEN, so Mechanical and Energy Engineering 1000, like the very first class that you take. And there were a good mix of men and women, very good mix. It was pretty much equal. But as the years continued, maybe two years later, the amount of women in my classes totally decreased. It was maybe like, a, I don't know, like an 80 to 20 ratio sometimes. Sometimes I was maybe even the only girl in a lab class, but one of the smaller classes. So of course, that's when I started noticing. Of course, it, it happened. But yeah, beginning, I was pretty oblivious, which I'm glad about because I feel like that's what helped me become so interested in it because I wasn't really focused on the gender gap. I wasn't focused on that at all. That is Miss Kathleen Trevino, who was introduced to me by my brother, former co-host Rene Duron. And we had a super awesome conversation getting to know one another. Uh, and she did not hesitate to teach me something. So I learned about this new subculture uh, called scene, which is maybe the opposite of emos. And you will get extra credit if you know the difference. In our conversation, she mentioned that she was oblivious, but I think you're going to find out as you listen that she is far from oblivious. And she has a Special heart for doggies, which you're going to get to hear them rustling around in the back. And she also turns the tables on me and makes me spill my guts about my baby brother, Renee. It was a pretty unique experience for me in that she asked me very penetrating questions. So it was almost like, like I was the one being interviewed. Anyhow, we talk about STEM. We talk about her passion for learning and passion for doing me meaningful work, which I know resonates with the L&M family members out there. Before I let you go to hear the rest of the conversation, I want to give a shout out to our L&M family member, Miss Maida. Maida uh, sent me this message. It's super awesome. We had just had a, a video call. She's amazing. And Maida says, some people suck your energy while others give you that extra dose you need to keep going. I get energized by your content alone. Imagine getting airtime. Maida, thank you. And that is so meaningful to me because I often worry that my energy is too much and maybe floods or short circuits some people. And yeah, that's what it's all about. The LM family. We are about sharing that energy and contributing and speaking into one another's lives. So why don't we let Miss Kathleen speak into your life? Here we go. I am here with a special friend, and I say special because she clearly has an immense and huge empathetic heart because she's friends with Renee. <laughs> Y'all don't remember Renee. Renee's my baby brother who... Helped me kick off the podcast way back in the day. And they work together. How are you doing, Miss Kathleen? <laughs> I'm doing good. Thank you. How are you doing? Oh, man, I'm having fun. I'm in Dallas. I'm like in a hotel. So if it looks neat, it's not because my house <laughs> is neat. 
It's because I'm in a hotel when they clean. <laughs> I don't have to do any cleaning. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Are you traveling for work? Yes. I, I came to Dallas for I'm working with a group of awesome people tomorrow morning. Uh, but I like to come in the evening before because I don't like being rushing around or flag delays and all that stuff. I'll just come the evening before. That way I can get out there first thing in the morning and and make something happen for them. <laughs> so, Kathleen, we already spilled the beans. You work with Renee. Can you help us understand what your work is? Okay. So I'm an inspector engineer for SAWS. Basically, I work in the construction management department. We manage the construction portions of projects. There's different departments within SAWS. There is the design team, and then they do the full design of the construction work. And then we continue, and we actually manage the construction work. And so that's pretty much my job as an inspector engineer. I inspect, manage the construction process of a project. So anytime anything comes up during work, if an asbestos pipe was found and it wasn't in the plans, that's something like an RFI or reflector information would come in, that would come to me. And we communicate with our consultants and we just figure out problems, so I'll figure out what to do in any situation. That's just one little example, but there's always something. <laughs> yeah, I, girl, I know. <laughs> I've been in construction since the 1900s, and <laughs> especially like because y'all are working with y'all are opening up the ground, and there's existing structures and exist, existing services. You just never, ever, no matter how many red lines and as builts there are, there's something that doesn't match, or there's something that wasn't captured, uh, and it creates all kinds of drama. So yeah, so and. How did you land where you're at in the job that you're doing now? Obviously, I landed the job because I applied for it. I interviewed, I and then I got the call that I got a job offer. Awesome. Yeah. But prior to that, I was working with a different company, doing completely different work. I was a project engineer before at this other company, but they were doing some layoffs. And so I was one of the people that got laid off, unfortunately. So I did have a four-month employment gap. I was just uh, looking for jobs, interviewing. I was just really trying to find something that I thought that I would enjoy. And so I applied for the city. I applied for SAWS. I applied for Sarah, so the San Antonio River Authority, all these places, CPS, just like trying to find something that felt more meaningful to me. So that's why the employment gap was so long. But yeah, I ended up getting an interview with Saws. I did pretty good. I thought that was actually the best interview that I had, which is probably why I ended up getting the job offer. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I decided to take it. I'm really glad that I did. Okay, so you said <laughs> you're looking for meaningful work. Where did that come from? What, why was it meaningful stuff that you were looking to do? I've always wanted something meaningful. When I first started college, I started this engineering degree, but I had no idea what I wanted to do with it. I've always been a pretty passionate person, but I realized that with engineering, there's so many things that I could do that would mean something to me. So yeah, I've just always had that. I've always wanted to do something that brought me meaning, that actually meant something to me. I'm not somebody who just wants to do something just to make money or anything like that. I just actually try to find enjoyment in the things that I have to do. When you work at your job 8 to 5, Monday through Friday, that's a pretty big portion of your life. And so I want to actually be able to enjoy it. So some people might be thinking like, wait a minute, but engineering kind of construction type stuff, how is that 
meaningful? How does that bring joy to Miss Kathleen's life? Yes. Even going into this job, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure what would be meaningful to me about it. All I knew was that SAWS is a public utility. It's funded by the public. We serve the public. That to me is meaningful. Everybody needs sewer and water. I just thought it was important work. Something that actually meant something to the city of San Antonio. Thank you for the work that you do because we all need it. Uh, now, so you mentioned you were at university. Yet there was this four month off and I applaud you for having the courage to hold on. I need to find something important, something meaningful because <laughs> a lot of us or it's right. It's easy to get caught up in. Oh, I got to pay my bills. I need money. Sure. But. Why did you select this engineering route? <laughs> so I've always really loved math and science. That was always my thing. In high school, I was taking physics and I was just really good at it. I excelled and my teacher one day, he pulled me over at the end of class and he was just like, hey, have you ever considered doing, he specifically said, have you ever considered majoring in environmental science or sorry, environmental engineering? And then I was just like, no, I hadn't considered that because I had no idea what I, what I wanted to go to college for. I had no idea at that time. The only thing that I knew was that I love math. And so I was like, maybe I should just do something with math. Should I become a math teacher? I don't know. So when he said that to me, I was like, oh, nice. Like, no, I can actually, now I might actually have a clear path. And so that's when I started researching what engineering even was because I didn't even know what engineering was. But that's when I started researching it and I was like, okay, yeah, I do love this. And I saw the curriculum and everything and how much, it sounds funny, but I was very math focused. And so I saw how, much, how many math classes you have to take to even finish your degree. And I loved that. And I was like, okay, you know what, let me try it out. And so I went to college, started engineering. I went in with mechanical engineering because it was just so broad. Because I didn't really know what I wanted to do yet. I wanted to have my options open. When I was mechanical and I ended up loving it. And so I just started excelling in my classes. I finished my degree and everything. And I just loved it. I loved it so much. Wow. Okay. So what's interesting is math caught your interest. It clearly, I see you smiling. You're like getting excited. You start talking about math, all the math classes you got to take. And, and then you got into it and then discovered, wow, I really enjoy this. Now, I imagine that was a rare interest for a young high school girl or young lady going into university in engineering. What was that like? At first, I didn't really notice. Are you specifically talking about like the gender gap in like STEM fields? Yeah. So, yeah. So gender gap in STEM field. And also, I've heard a lot of people say women are good at math. And so in my head, in an engineering track, that there would be a low volume or a low, really disproportionate ratio of men to women coming up through that. And yeah. your family and friends, there's added pressure or concern from family and friends that may come along with that. Is that true? Yeah. Okay. Again, so at first, when I was first going to college and I was first starting my degree, I did not notice the gap. I did not know that okay. there was like this big gender gap in STEM. I don't know. I was just oblivious. I just knew what I liked. I knew what I wanted to do and I went for it. But I did notice it during college as the years continued. I noticed it both outside of college whenever Family members asked me what I was studying and I would tell them I'm studying to become a mechanical engineer. That is when I started getting reactions. And that's when I started noticing more of that gender gap and more how just not as usual it is for women to follow through with an engineering major. 
One of the big things that I did notice, so my first year of college, I was taking this, it was called MEN, so Mechanical and Energy Engineering 1000, like the very first class that you take. And there were a good mix of men and women, very good mix. It was pretty much equal. But as the years continued, maybe two years later, the amount of women in my classes totally decreased. It was maybe like, a, I don't know, like an 80 to 20 ratio sometimes. Sometimes I was maybe even the only girl in a lab class, but one of the smaller classes. So, of course, that's when I started noticing. Of course, it happened. But yeah, beginning, I was pretty oblivious, which I'm glad about because I feel like that's what helped me become so interested in it because I wasn't really focused on the gender gap. I wasn't focused on that at all. And so I'm actually really happy that I was oblivious to it. Yeah, that's what comes across. You were focused on what you wanted to learn, not who was going to be in the damn class. Um, Yeah. And now when you started, when it started becoming obvious, to me, there's some pretty significant, what should we say, grit or perseverance to like not lose confidence being in, in a drastic environment. The grit and perseverance to continue as the conditions around you started transforming. And specifically, we're talking about the gender thing. Where do you think you get your focus and your perseverance from? I don't know. I guess just from being passionate. Yeah. Yeah. I, Because I am really passionate about learning, and I think that's just what helps me focus on, to me, in my opinion, like for me, what's more important. Okay. So here's an interesting thing is what's coming across to me is you make a decision about something, and that's the decision. Is that pretty much the deal? There are times where I'm like, mm, I don't know, should I do it, should I not do it? But whenever I do make a decision, I usually stick with it because I'm just like, I already made the decision, I'm going with it. Okay. Someone, are you an only child? No. <laughs> okay. So you got I siblings. Have, I have three sisters. Ah, and where are you on the hierarchy of, of your sisters? I'm the third. Okay. And so what was that like coming up with three sisters? Oh, uh, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You would think that since I just have a bunch of sisters. I would be maybe more girly, but man, it was pretty rough. You know how they say boys fight, girls fight, sisters fight. And we physically fight. (laughs) Oh, okay. For real. Yeah. I don't like punching and things like that, but like just throwing each other around and just doing sister things. Not anymore when we were kids. Now it's really nice. Now that we're all older, it's nice because it just feels like I have friends. They just feel like my friends. I can call them up. I'm really close with one of them in particular. And so we literally talk almost every day. So yeah, when we were kids, it was pretty crazy, but now it's really nice. (laughs) Settled down since then, huh? So if I were to meet your sisters, how would they describe you? Um, (laughs) Probably, they would probably say that I'm smart, a little slow, but funny and very like positive. They always tell me that I'm always really positive. Oh. Okay, so that positive thing, do you do that on purpose? Or is that like a nat- just your natural state, natural focus? I think it's just my natural state. <laughs> and so you've been with Saws, what, a couple years now? No, I've only been there for eight months. <laughs> eight months. Oh, okay, so super early. What do you see? Clearly, you're doing things that you're passionate about, things that you care about. If you knew you couldn't fail, what would you try? 
I definitely have something in mind, but I can't think about it right now. Oh, is it too big? <laughs> no, I just can't remember, but I do have a little bit of issue with the fear of failure. Mm. And so it does stop me from pursuing things that I may have pursued if I didn't have that fear. I like, oh, we're going to dig into this. <laughs> so when you think, I, I feel you, girl, because you ain't alone. There's tons of the LM family members. We all wrestle with that fear of failure. And when I think about fear of failure for myself, I'm not really worried about, God, I failed at a lot of things, a lot of times. What I'm really, what I think about is what is it that really locks me up? For me, it's the judgment that people might have because I wasn't successful. So in terms of your fear of failure, is it failing that you're afraid of? Or is there something deeper in there that you'd really rather not experience? It is a little bit of that as well. I hate saying it, but the title of being engineer does, because I've thought about pursuing other careers. Okay. But the title of being an engineer has made my family so happy. Oh. And so I feel like in the back of my mind, unconsciously sometimes, makes me not want to stray away from the engineering field. I'm trying to get away from that right now. Like, I just realized this not too long ago. And so I'm actually working on that. My parents are really proud of me, whether I'm an engineer or not. And so I've been just trying to take that out of my mind and really understanding where the fear of failure really is lies like where the basis is because i honestly don't believe that's the basis of it mm. but i definitely do have that in the back of my mind oh my goodness this is good so <laughs> external pressures right the our families the expectations that people have for us and of us that is a powerful gravity that that pulls i think at everybody so i promise i won't tell your parents so, <laughs> but what are the other kind of crazy ideas or careers that you flirted with considering being a teacher ah okay literally a math teacher okay yeah what great so i actually applied to a couple of teaching positions okay during that employment gap yeah i found out actually a few months ago that i got a few interviews but i already got the saws job so i didn't end up going through with the interviews but i applied for both high school and elementary school because i'm good with elementary school kids I've worked with elementary school kids before, and I enjoy that, but I enjoy the level of intellect and height for high school students a little bit better. Being able to teach like AP calculus, for example. Okay, so why not middle school? <laughs> because I remember how I was like in middle school, and there's just, when you're in middle school, you just go through all of these phases. That's how it was for me. I don't know how it was for you, but I feel like in middle school, that's where you're trying out like all these new phases. I had like my scene Rather than emo, I had a scene phase, but then I started transitioning to more of a girly phase. So it was just, I was all over the place and I would rather, and it, for me in middle school, I was more focused on that than I was at school. And mm. so I feel like that's how a lot of kids are in middle school. You're growing, your body's changing, your mind is changing. So many things are changing. And so a lot of times... I feel like kids are just more focused on themselves, focused on all these changes, focused on trying new things, focused on figuring out who they are rather than focusing on learning the next thing in geometry. <laughs> so you said emo and scene. What scene? I've never heard. That's a new concept to me. 
So seeing, I don't know what the exact like, definition is. But from what I know, when I was that age, scene is just the kids that wore all the colors. The okay. emo kids had all the black. Yes. Scene kids had all the color. Okay. <laughs> so I wore like the colored studded belts, the colored jeans, things like that. <laughs> I'm going to have to do some research on that. It just shows my age a little bit, huh? <laughs> and middle school is, that is the time. And, and I mean, you know, Renee. But that was the time when me and him really connected, or at least I saw that I had a greater responsibility, not when I was in middle school, but when he was in middle school, because I could see him all of a sudden realizing or worrying about whether he was a nerd, whether he was cool and just all of that, like his social awareness lit up. And I was like, man, that sucked. I remember when I was there and then I was like, wait a minute. I can help him. <laughs> and then he saved my life. The fact that he was going through that and I had been through it helped me get clear about, man, my bad experiences and self-destructive decisions that I made back then, I could leverage them to actually serve somebody. And that somebody was Brene, my baby brother. So I totally get not wanting to do the middle school thing. What's your age gap, you and Renee? Oh, man, he's he is 18 years younger than me. Oh, wow. Is that cool? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Oh, yeah. I was a senior in high school when he was born. Wow. Um, yeah, totally that? did not have it planned. <laughs> <laughs> How was that having such a younger brother? Oh, girl. Was it that's a question. Was it hard? It, here's, here, it's awesome. Because he's a really awesome guy. He's my hero. I look up to him because for a lot of reasons, he's like the most practical and thoughtful person I know. And you may experience him differently, but that's my experience of him. The interesting thing is there's three of us. It's me, Ernest, and Renee's the baby. Ernest is like a year younger than me. And because of the age gap, was cool because we could do really cool things, right? I got to take him deep sea fishing and took him to Disneyland and took him. We done a lot of cool stuff because I could. And so we got to have like fun brother fun. Now the it's a little weird because I was the disciplinarian. <laughs> so it's not strictly a, a brotherly role or relationship that we have. It's also almost a paternal element to it. Because like I said, he helped me get my head clear. Oh, I'll tell you a funny story. So an example of what I'm trying to, to describe. Yes, we're brothers. And yes, we play around. And even now, I'm the least mature of the three of us. <laughs> but when he was coming up, I had to present myself as a responsible adult, right? I needed to be a good example for him. And I think it was his 18th birthday. I had, He likes to play poker. He's pretty good. And so we held a little poker tournament, a hold'em tournament with a bunch of my buddies and some of his buddies. And so we're playing and the guys, my friends start telling stories about me, like all the wild stuff that I did when I was in high school and so forth. And I remember Renee, he's looking at me and he's, who are you? You're a loser. I thought you like had your stuff together. Oh, man. <laughs> it was he looked, looked at me like so disappointed oh man <laughs> which was awesome right so again in terms of what it was like he really helped me grow up i had to to really be intentional about the decisions i made 
the lessons I was working to teach him. And I still get a little bit jealous because of the being like the authoritative figure. There's there's a level of goofiness that we won't do together. Um, I get to see Ernest and him have that kind of really goofy, silly brother interaction. And I'm not like there's a barrier that I can't a threshold that I can't cross because I'm always the one that kind of gets involved or gets called in when there's major problems. Does that make any sense? No. Yeah, that makes total sense. I have a similar situation. (laughs) Oh, so you have three sisters. So, So what are the ages of your sisters? Okay, so my older sister, who is the one that I'm actually closest to, she is in her 30s, I think 35. Okay. <laughs> and then my older sister, she is only two years older than me. So she is 30. And then I'm 28. And then my younger sister is 23. Okay. I believe. So pretty She's close. She's 24. And so what was that like? Do y'all give each other a hard time? Damn, girl, you're old. (laughs) Yeah, I I give my oldest sister a hard hard time. And uh, my older sister, she just turned 30 this past year. Of course, giving her a hard time. We love to joke with each other. Yeah, but our little sister, we still call her the baby. She's still just a little baby, even though she's like in her 20s now. She has her own job. She has her own place. She lives in a whole other but she's still like the little baby we still treat her like a little baby <laughs> oh yeah yeah no, I, I know all about that i always say i'll tell people i talk to about renee to a bunch of people and they're like oh man i can't wait to and then they meet him they're like damn that dude's a giant i was like yeah, I know him. he's not a baby in my head when he was a little guy like he would fit on my chest i would put him to sleep we'd both fall asleep on the couch he'd fall asleep on my chest so he was just a little creature back then now he's a freaking gigantic creature um, <laughs> but he in my head he's still my baby brother I can't yeah i know i feel like that never goes away yeah yeah no that it's awesome okay so tight family that's awesome where do the dogs come into play <laughs> oh my puppies <laughs> So I got my dogs. I love my dogs. <laughs> so I'm all cheeky. I had been wanting dogs forever. We've always had dogs in the family. And I've always wanted a dog. But previously, I always lived in apartments. And I had to go to work. I had a job. And I was just always set on not having a dog until I have a house. That was always okay. my priority. Because when I have dogs, I want to have a house so that I have a yard for them to run around in. That was just a priority for me. I wanted my dogs to be happy. That's just what I wanted. So finally, I moved into a house literally a few, a couple months later, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, literally three months into living in a house, I finally adopted two dogs. So I have two mini Aussies. They're my babies. <laughs> Can I tell you the story about how I got them? <laughs> tell me, please. Okay, so my boyfriend and I, we actually got the dogs together. And so we decided on to get a mini Aussie. I really wanted an Aussie mix because I thought an Aussie would just be a little too crazy for me. But I just specifically wanted an Aussie. I'm sorry. I really wanted this specific dog breed. I did a lot of research on them and I was just like, this is what I want. So we found a dog and we went to go pick her up. But when we got there, I was looking at all the other dogs. So it was just like a whole litter, right? And so they were all there running around together. And the one that we picked, I hate saying that, but that is what it is. We picked her and she was getting a bath from the previous owners. 
and all the other ones were running around and so i was just there like watching all of them run around but there was this one little dog and she was just like sitting out by herself like all calm she looked a little sick scared a little nervous and so i went over to her and i tried petting her but at first she like backed away but then i went back up to her and she let me pet her the second time and she was just so cute she just has these super cute little button eyes and i was just like oh my gosh and so i started asking questions about her and they told us that she's always been like that a little bit more reserved, she's a little quieter. And so I look at my boyfriend and he was just like, we'll take her as well. And so that's how I ended up with two dogs. <laughs> Damn it. All right, let's get the other one. <laughs> yeah, Um. but they're my babies. They're two years old. They're about to be two years old next week. Okay. And... Yeah, they're my babies. I love them so much. I do a lot of stuff with them. I love hiking, and so I bring them with me every time. I'll bring them to the store if I have to go to Home Depot or Lowe's or anything like that. I bring them with me. I want them those. I treat so my do you have, like, special clothes and booties for them? <laughs> no, I do spoil them, but no, I don't dress them or anything. Yeah, but oh, they're and- pretty special. They just, they're so smart, and so it's so easy to treat them like kids. Unfortunately, mm. sometimes they're a little spoiled, but I try my best to train them and to discipline them. And they're good dogs. They're really good dogs. Yeah. Yeah. You've trained them and taken care of them. And you said dogs. So dogs have always been a part of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Dogs have always been a part of my life. Now, so you've mentioned the word passion a couple of times and that you're a passionate person. Uh, what other passions do you have that you cultivate and play around in? Oh, man. Yep. It's me again. Cutting you off right when we get to the juicy part. You're going to get a chance to hear all about how Miss Kathleen cultivates her passion uh, on part two, which will be hitting the airwaves next week. You know, as I was listening to this in preparation for release, I couldn't help but think about all the younglings out there that aren't clear about the direction that they're headed and how Kathleen's story could maybe give them a little guidance. Because, you know, they don't want to hear it from their parents. Uh, but if they hear it from somebody else that that understands their experience... Uh, they're more likely to take action on on what they hear. I don't know. Maybe that's just me getting all sentimental, but she was pretty motivating to me. You're going to get more of Miss Kathleen on our next show. Uh, so appreciate y'all listening. Share it with somebody you think it's going to resonate with. And before I sign off, I want you to know that this episode was sponsored by Sweat Equity Improvement. What Sweat Equity Improvement? Well, let me tell you. So I have a virtual course going on. It's kicking off January 10th. It's going to be happening on Wednesdays. And the folks that sign up for that bad boy are going to be learning how to make work more awesomer for the people that do the work. And what I mean by that is they will be learning how to remove the burden in poorly designed work, how to standardize that improvement and how to scale those improvements throughout the organization. If you can't tell, I'm pretty darn excited about it. It's the funnest thing I get to do. And I invite you to sign up or share it with somebody that you think would get some value out of it. Like if you know any trade foremen, trade superintendents, um, VPs of operations, 
those folks out there, they would have a pretty keen interest on this content because it will impact their business results and make the days of their workforce much, much better. Again, appreciate y'all listening. Appreciate y'all gifting me with your time. It is so valuable and I deeply appreciate it. Be cool and we'll talk at you next time. Peace!